The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. So today, the board is there. The board chairperson, Mpo Makwana, has been speaking. The acting CEO is not there. The former board chair is there as well. Mpo Makwana has been speaking about how the board met with Andre Jureta after that interview aired in February about how he told the board that he felt that if he had embarrassed the company, he would bring his resignation forward. And then it was subsequently decided that he would leave immediately. Makwana saying that uh, Jureta's comments gave the public the impression that nothing was being done at ESCOM to stem corruption. So I'm going to play you a bit of audio and then we'll speak to Lindsay Dentlinger who's following proceedings. Uh, so this is Mpo Makwana referring to Jureta's interview and the process that followed. Have a listen. Soon after the February interview and on 22 February the board convened a special meeting to discuss the contents and the utterances that uh, our then outgoing GCE would have made uh, in the interview that he had regarding ESCOM. At the commencement of that board meeting, Mr. Drater was afforded the opportunity to speak uh, and and give his perspective in terms of uh, what had taken place. He confirmed that uh, indeed that interview that everybody saw had taken place um, and he stated that if the board considered any of the contents of the interview uh, to have caused an embarrassment to ESCOM, um, he would be agreeable to variation of term in terms of his notice period, which at the time was 31 March, uh, and that notice period would then revert to the non-extended date of 28 February 2023, this being in line with his resignation letter of 12 December 2022. After he recused himself from the board meeting, the the board deliberated on the matter um, and the board came to the view, conclusion, that uh, some of the utterances he made brought the company into distribute and therefore resolved to agree to the variation of his notice period. That's my concluding remarks. I'll clarify this further. The board made uh, further then resolved to release him from uh, forthwith from his obligation to serve the remainder of his notice period with immediate effect. Uh, I've already spoken to this uh, few points on the Empower You plan that after the exit of Mr. Drayter, then we embarked on the Empower You plan, which was led by our human capital uh, team to. So that's um, Paul Makwana speaking a bit earlier on today. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN parliamentary reporter, has been uh, inside that hearing today. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, what kind of ride is ESCOM getting today? We saw yesterday the law enforcement officials really getting grilled. Uh, is that being replicated today? Well, Mandy, right from the very onset, um, things got delayed by uh, almost 40 minutes because um, MPs here were very unhappy with the opening remarks that Paul Makwana was making by view of trying to contextualize what they wanted to uh, convey to this committee today. But MPs were upset that they didn't have a copy of his notes, his handwritten notes that he had on his uh, iPad. And so we had to stall proceedings for around 40, 45 minutes so that copies could be made for them. So right from the get-go, you know, the uh, 
relations uh, haven't started off uh, very well, but um, getting underway now, um, I think some unhappiness about uh, explanations around this intelligence report. It really seems to be dominating uh, much of the discussions so far, uh, and um, the ESCOM executive saying that they had no idea about this intelligence report, and this is despite underrated previously telling this committee that he had shared the contents with the board. Former board chairperson, as you've pointed out, um, Malekhapuru Mahoba is here. He's confirmed knowledge of this intelligence report. He said he left it up to Dereta. ESCOM was under siege at the time, uh, and they had to do some extraordinary uh, intelligence gathering. And uh, he's pulled no punches, really, saying that the cops were asleep, lackadaisical. Those are the words that he's used, and just not doing enough to bring the situation at ESCOM under control. And so they were left um, to uh, do their own intelligence gathering. But here's the uh, chief executive of Transmission, Sechamotso, um, Skirpers, telling this committee that they have no knowledge of this intelligence report at all, Mandy. Uh, the members of EXCO that are here uh, were not privy uh, or involved in the commission of this investigation. So we don't have the detail around uh, what transpired today. So they didn't know about the intelligence report. Lindsay Dentlinger, parliamentary reporter, thank you very much uh, for your coverage. Well, let's have a listen into what's happening at the moment, just so you can get a sense of what the latest is there. As the ESCOM board appears before Scopa, and the sound is courtesy of Newsroom Africa. Thank you, sir. Um, I did not uh, deem it necessary at the time because... I was, uh, what, what happened was that when I was given by word of mouth, uh, I will tell you what I did say. I did ask Mr. Andre Director, have you discussed this matter and received guidance from the Minister of Public Enterprise? Have you shared this matter with anybody in the office of the President? Have you shared this information that you are sharing with me with the Hawks and with the SAPS? And he said to me, he was going to do that because at the time he did not have the written report. So, yes, I did uh, try and get that, but I couldn't get it because it was not ready. But I wanted this matter to be addressed urgently as, uh, as, as I could. When exactly was that uh, word of mouth shared with you? That would be around uh, uh, the middle or end of May uh, in 2022. But uh, there was a meeting um, in July where he made an undertaking to make a report available, and that meeting was also attended by your head of security, uh, which took place um, uh, with the net joints. So at that time, the report was already available. So meaning you had sufficient time um, to get the report when it was made available. Why didn't you do that? Because other um, law enforcement agencies were finished with the report. So, Professor Bakhoba, the former uh, chair of the ESCOM board, facing questions from Scopa there about what he knew, when he knew it, uh, what Andre Dereta told him. So that's the situation before Scopa at the moment. Uh, the current uh, chair and board and the former chair uh, facing questions around these corruption allegations. That's- the Midday Report.
the current uh, chair and board and the former chair uh, facing questions around these corruption allegations. That's the, the one thing that's happening in Parliament. The other is the Public Enterprises Department and the Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon are presenting annual uh, performance uh, to the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises. So, of course, so there will be questions there around ESCOM and SAA as well. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, following that for us. Babalo, good afternoon to you. Uh, what has Pravin Gordon been saying about the Public Enterprises uh, Portfolio and all also, I imagine questions around ESCOM. Good afternoon, Mandy. I'm Pravin Gordon, currently out of the country, he was um, sent an apology to the committee, so he was not present at today's meeting, but he was represented there by the Deputy Minister, Robert Papella. Um, but uh, really the presentation and the annual performance, as well as these um, shareholder compacts, uh, the briefing was led by the acting DG, the um, advocate Makode, and really touching on just issues about SAA, for example, uh, and how that Takatsu deal consortium transaction is still being investigated by the Competition Commission. Um, so it might be quite a while before this matter is finalized. And even after the Competition Commission is, is done with its own probe, it might even be referred to the Competition Tribunal. So the matter receiving quite a lot of attention and a lot of focus in the department's APP or perform, annual performance plan, as well as issues around ESCOM and how ESCOM's um, you know, transmission um, company, when it, the unbinding of ESCOM is still also seems to be quite you know, a while from being finalized. So it's just issues about matters being still in progress or work in progress, Mandy, nothing really being finalized. And that's really the message one gets from this APP and really members of the committee also raising issues about this transaction that's not complete from, as well as the ESCOM unbinding that's also not complete, as well as these shareholder compacts that are still not finalized by the department, which are essentially, Mandy, um, performance agreements between the SOEs as well as the department. Babalo, thank you very much. Uh, Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, speaking to us there about uh, the Public Enterprises Minister, Pravin Gordon, as he says, out the country, but presenting the annual performance uh, to the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises in Parliament. The Midday Report. Speaking of Pravin Gordon, uh, he has announced that he is taking that high court decision on appeal, that court judgment that orders the Public Enterprises Ministry to ensure that uh, schools, police stations and hospitals are not affected during load shedding, uh, that court order made last week. So the uh, BOSA leader, Musi Maimane, has made an announcement today on how he plans to compel Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon to adhere to that court ruling. Uh, he had a, a press conference at the Chris Hardy Baragwanath Hospital today, uh, and he's announced that he is launching a petition. So he was speaking outside Barra today about uh, the rights of South Africans. Have a listen. The people of Gauteng, fellow South Africans, we are standing here outside of Baragwanath Hospital. As it happens, it's one of the oldest hospitals in the country. <laughs> As it happens, this hospital services Gautengas and the people of Soweto. But what has happened is that recently, in the constitution, it makes it clear that health is a constitutional right. Health is a right that is enshrined that calls on any government to say 
you must provide health for your citizens. But the rights of this country in the constitution aren't just limited to health. They are also provided for in safety. They are provided for in education. It's provided for in the right to life. But none of us can help the fact that when there's load shedding, those rights disappear. Yes. I've been getting reports to say in hospitals, in Gauteng, in, in, in South Africa, when there's load shedding, doctors are operating using touches. <laughs> That's building one South Africa leader, Musi Bayamane, speaking outside Chris Holly Baragwanath Hospital. Ndaedzo Netonje, EWN reporter, also there for us. Ndaedzo, tell us about uh, the petition that Musi Bayamane is now launching. Yeah, good afternoon, Mendy, and uh, to the listeners. So this petition basically is to have a mass public um, rallying behind uh, the uh, the petition to have government compelled to supply electricity in these key institutions. Essentially what this is meant is that um, there's not much that uh, the petition would do that would raise a lot of awareness and perhaps have government give in um, into not going to review that application by the high court. Uh, The legal process is well within government's right to go and appeal this uh, and my money says if that uh, is going to happen, which they hope the petition will help government to change its mind, but if they do go ahead and uh, review this uh, court uh, judgment, what they are hoping is that they will then uh, get Advocate Mugai Tobi, who was leading those 19 applicants in this court case, right. to challenge that review application. And uh, it's on Netonje, EWN reporter, Chris Hani Baragwanath uh, Hospital for us. Uh, we do know that uh, this appeal is going to court. Provin Gordon has appealed this decision. Yesterday we spoke to Saftu um, and Zwilenzima Vavi saying that he thought it was uh, disgusting that Provin Gordon uh, was appealing uh, this, this judgment. Um, but it will be up to those 19 applicants now to challenge that appeal. The Midday Report. And then what we're going to do is go to Nkosi Corner Duma, a News 24 journalist who is covering that murder trial of Cindy Somagarka, a fifth witness testifying today in that matter. Nkosi Corner, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, the state calling its fifth witness in the Peter Maritzburg High Court today, the murder trial of four men accused of killing the former ANC Youth League Secretary General Cindy Somagarka. What's been happening there? Well, good afternoon, Mandy. So we are hearing the testimony of um, of a witness who washed a car that was used by the by at least two of the alleged assailants who took out um, Mr. Cindy Somakata. He has confirmed that uh, these two men who are currently on the dock, um, he did wash that car and that they were present on the crime scene. And this follows on the um, on the statement by the state that it would be. Uh, give it, it would be leading evidence on various uh, witnesses who actually spotted the accused. Yesterday, Mandy, we saw um, at least one, the first witness actually identifying the accused number one, Sponelo Mieza, right at the crime scene. And at this particular point, Mandy, I will tell you that um, so it is, it is the state 
appearing to build up his case against the, the accused. So this is crucial in Kosikone because it comes down to uh, whether or not this particular individual uh, was associated with this vehicle. The vehicle was believed to be involved in that shooting in 2017, this red vehicle, and that's why this is so important. Absolutely, Mandy. So it is a red uh, BMW that was spotted. It was used by accused number one, Sponelo Mieza, and um, another uh, one of the accused. Their, their name hasn't been stated in course, but at least we know now that Mr. Sponelo Mieza was the driver of, of mm. that uh, vehicle. And um, what we are told is that he had to come into, into a car wash when Mr. Cindy Somakaka was also there, right. there in Mr. Mieza, who formed part of, of about four people who had driven from Durban all the way to Mzunkulu to, to, to kill Mr. Cindy Somakaka. He did not particularly pull the trigger, at least from the evidence that we have heard here, but he merely served as someone who had confirmed mm. and spotted Mr. Makaka. Nkosikona, thank you so much. Nkosikona Duma, News 24 journalist, uh, giving us an update on the Cindy Somakaka. The Midday Report. Let's go back to Alice, uh, to the uh, Alice Magistrates Court, where uh, Siposetu Boy, Newsroom Africa reporter, is attending that bail application of the five suspects arrested in connection with the series of murders at Forte University. Siposetu, good afternoon. Uh, hoping you can hear us loud and clear now. Yes, I can, Mandy. Thank you for having me. Perfect. Thank you for, for your patience and making the effort. So tell us what's yes. happening in court today. Well, today the... Second, um, uh, accused, Mr. Elombula, was took to the stand, and of course, he uh, just stated in, with regards to why he should be released on bail. Uh, furthermore, of course, accused number four also took to uh, to the stand and also gave his reasons as far as why he should also be um, released on bail. Remember that uh, accused number two is an ex SRC member of the University of Fort Hare, and uh, it is alleged, or rather, the state further said uh, that. I choose number one, Mr. Bongani Peter, choose number two, and uh, Wanini Koza, who's a choose number three, are the ones that actually hired a choose number four and a choose number five, who are uh, Kanyile and Ntobi Sizondo, uh, to actually assassinate Mr. Petrus Root, who was the chief manager for the fleet and the transport department at the University of Forte, as well as there was a list that was found in a car that was driven by a choose number four, Mr. Ntobi Kanyile, who's currently now being cross-examined by the state prosecutor and that there was a list that was found in their car that had the name of the victim that needed to be assessed a picture next to each name as well as an amount of money uh, each head will be charged. So those details are now currently now being um, heard in court and the state prosecutor is currently cross-examining accused number four in the Vesele family is also at the gallery today, Mandy. Siposetu, thank you so much. Siposetu Boy, Newsroom Africa reporter. It sounds like the, the anatomy of an assassination playing out in the Alice Magistrates Court today uh, as those men are in court for that series of murders at Fort Hare University. The Midday Report. So yesterday there was a postponement in the Senzo Miwa murder trial and that was because the Isizulu interpreter uh, that had been working on the matter uh, couldn't make it to court. So there was a postponement yesterday. That matter is running again today. Advocate Charles Nisi, the lawyer for accused number three, Mdobisi Mkube, uh, started his cross-examination by asking Mtokozisi Twala about his testimony and uh, having a look at some of it. Let's have a listen to that. 
You know, the reason why I'm asking this, a simple question was put to you on PR4 QS number one and two, just to, to describe that firearm, and then you said you can't. I remember. I know well. Why were you not able to describe the firearm? Well, I couldn't, yes, indeed, because I don't know firearms. I don't know the kinds or the types of firearms. Mr. Mr. Twala, you are not requested to tell this court what type of a firearm was it. You are requested to describe the firearm. It was even put to you whether it was a long firearm, a short firearm. You still said you can't. I think Lapo is I think you're making a mistake there because I did mention that it was not a long firearm, it was or a big firearm, it was a small firearm. I said that no one else. Advocate Charles Mnisi, the lawyer for Mtobisi Mnube, with his cross-examination of Mtokozizi Twala. Khomoto Modise, EWN reporter in quarter for us. Khomoto, uh, it is very much about the, the minutiae now when it comes to a criminal trial. Uh, who saw what? What are the details? What did the hat look like? What color was the hat? Tell us about the gun. That's the kind of stuff we're hearing today. That's right, Mandy. Good afternoon. So a lot of what's been happening today, um, you know, listening to that clip, that's in the tone of the proceedings throughout the morning, extremely tense, very contentious, you know, um, a lot of debate on the smaller points, as you point out. And one of those that has actually taken a lot of the time today in the court is the point um, that uh, Advocate Charles has made around the language of the first intruder. So you will remember that the first intruder has been described as the shorter intruder. He's described as a man with a dread and a hat. And there have been inferences made uh, to that, that intruder being the third accused. Of course, there hasn't been a job identification yet. That is the advocate's client in Tobisimba. And so it is really important that the that, uh, uh, advocate in Lisi really points out uh, certain details that may or may not link his client to any of what's been happening or what happened on the 26th of October 2014. And so the question around what language he was using is really important. And that's because we heard from uh, the witness uh, in Tobisimba saying that he spoke in Isisulu, but there was also a bit of Sisoto. And he said he asked for money and he asked for cell phones. Now that's important because, you know, we thought the advocate asked him, was it English, was it Sisoto, or was it Sisoto? And why would it be Sisoto and Sisoto if all he said was money and cell phones? And so the court has taken a lot of time going through records and returns from time to time to kind of listen back to what exactly we told the toilet said. And it has been established. And he didn't fact say mm-hmm. even though initially he denied saying this is and that he did say a, a more of this is Now uh, the advocate has been you know, told to move on from that point by the judge saying he doesn't understand the materiality and if he's going to be uh, drawing uh, some sort of a point, he should come through and make that point at that point.
Khamoto, thank you. Khamoto Medisa, EWN reporter in the Senzo Miwa murder trial. As so often happens in criminal trials, it is the minutia. It comes down to the, the real fine details of different versions and how they hold up. The Midday Report. So the EFF and the ANC in Kuruleni seem to be having a fractious relationship, despite the fact that they are in government together. And this is all because of the issue around the so-called stolen garbage trucks saga. So the EFF Gauteng chair in Kuleko Dunga came out and said the trucks were missing. And then the ANC came out and said, no, the trucks aren't missing. Actually, we all agreed to write off the trucks. And uh, this very much is, is central uh, to what is going on in this coalition. Tobiso Goba, EWN reporter, has been out in Ikuruleni. Uh, he's gone to visit a couple of the depots in Ikuruleni to find out what happened to the rubbish trucks? Tobiso is back in studio with us now. Tobiso, good afternoon to you. Thanks very much for your time. You've spoken to some people about these compactors, about the service providers. What have they been telling you? Well, good afternoon, Mandy. Well, I think it's 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 important um, to say that um, firstly, those trucks that were there was a, a council agreement to get rid of those trucks. They haven't been they haven't gotten rid of them yet. So those trucks um, are still at the depot. Um, now we did visit a number of depots just sort of to understand what is exactly happening. Um, the Agrilene municipalities has ten depots um, across the city. So obviously, I didn't get to all of them, um, but um, we did get to a few and speak to. Um, to some of the people just to sort of understand why is the EFF saying this and I will say that Mandy is that every depot in uh, in, in Okuruleni there is um, sort of like two sections there's a section where there are operational trucks and there's a section where there are trucks that are have issues with a uh, with repair or maintenance um, that stay there so what some of um, the, the managers I spoke to um, told me is that there is a reason that maybe the EFF didn't count as many trucks is because there are some trucks that if the municipality doesn't have capacity or the expertise to fix them, they'll send them out to, to an outside service provider. So not all of the 120-something trucks that are on the municipality's asset register are on the municipality's um, premises. Right. You have also spoken with Nkululeko uh, the EFF Kuruleni caucus leader and the MMC for finance. Um, you've, you've interviewed him about this. What is he saying about this issue? Well, I think with, with Dunga, he's saying that, you know, they did um, their own audit. You know, they had um, an assets register which had, you know, the number plates of all these trucks that belong to the municipality. And they went to, they had uh, representatives in all 10, um, in all sort of all 10 depots that the Agrilene municipality has. And what they did find is they find there's about 35 trucks in the asset register of the municipality that are represented in the depot of the municipality. Now, the thing is, Mandy, as you said, you know, the ANC held their own press conference and also said, you know, this is our lies. These are the numbers we have. And it's sort of interesting that, you know, I've been trying to speak to the municipality to sort of, you know, get the official figures because the ANC has their own figures. The EFF has their own figures. There's basically only one person. Um, and that is the fleet manager who has the official figures in terms of how many trucks are operational, how many trucks aren't operational and how many trucks are currently being serviced at outside, um, at outside service providers. So unfortunately, um, even though they were, it was promising, um, earlier this morning that I will be able to speak to the fleet manager. I haven't been able to speak to him. Um, I've been told that I have 
have to go through um, official communication routes um, through Uzweli Lamin, who's a spokesperson. Um, he was supposed to speak to us um, yesterday. Um, at the last minute, he sort of cancelled. I think there is a fear that obviously these two parties did come into government and the municipality doesn't want to be seen to be, the municipality mm. officials don't want to be seen to be interfering or contradicting them. But I mean, um, how can the truth be contradictory? Yeah. You just need to tell us how many trucks are operational and how many are missing, if there are any. Count the trucks. Tobiso, thank you so much. Uh, Tobiso uh, Goba, who was out in Kuruleni, EWN reporter. So that's uh, the situation at the moment between the ANC and the EFF in Kuruleni. The Midday Report. Lots to talk about in terms of coalitions and relationships between different political parties. Well, this week on Politricking with Tiri Madia, the podcast, Tiri sits down with the Patriotic Alliance's president, Gayton McKenzie, and he talks about his uh, recent excursion to Orania. Yes, that's right. Gayton McKenzie went to Orania and the backlash following his visit. And they also speak about the politics of coalitions, uh, his stint as mayor of the Central Karoo and the future of the Patriotic Alliance post the 2024 general elections. Uh, Tiddy joining us uh, on the line now. Tiddy, take us through some of the highlights of what Gaten McKenzie told you. Good afternoon, Mandy. I think we, we, you saw Gaten a little bit after that chat. I think he's just one of those characters that just very quickly have to say is fun to engage because he's quite honest and he doesn't mind you being abrasive and uh, uh, um, addressing issues that represent his politics. So the issues around foreign nationals, Mandy, the issues around um, his past and the fact that their politics is so vulgar. I always look at him and Kenny uh, Quinn and think they're so incredibly vulgar in how they carry themselves in the political space. So he was quite open to all those kind of conversations about who or what he is. But he also spoke about what the PA's role is. You know, he proudly calls them the kingmakers, saying you can't move without us in Johannesburg, in Ikuruleni, and he hopes that they go to 2024 with that in mind, saying that you cannot make decisions without us and that their demands will also find expression. But I, I was very interested in how how do you navigate these coalitions, especially because we've seen the PA moving from a DA coalition into an ANC and him threatening again to leave this particular agreement. And he said, look, we want to be respected at all times when we engage with these political parties. We also obviously spoke about the new um, mayor in Johannesburg, Kabelo Kwamanda, because here's somebody that they backed, that at some point, um, Gates McKenzie actually wanted to replace, be the mayor, mayor of Johannesburg. We spoke about Kabelo and the allegations, Mandy, that were leveled against him, and this is what he had to say. I said, have you been arrested or a case been made against you? He said, no, my, no uh, president of the PA. He said, no. Now, you see, when people, there's always allegations against people. Now, Mpopa Ladzi, he suffers from what we call in Afrikaans, Ketan Kurs. Ketan Kurs. Ketan Kurs means you are, you, you are suffering from uh, chain fever. Ketan Kurs is chain fever. He wants their chain even now starting to blame. The issue that you're having here, and I'm going to tell you what, where it's coming from. It's not even from Popalazzi. It's from the ANC. It's from the ANC, a group they don't want him in the ANC. The ANC must be very careful with it. They'll find themselves out of power. They must be very careful. They must not think that our relationship with the DA has broken in such an extent that we can't talk again. But if the ANC is going to sabotage this new mayor, they will regret this decision because we cannot be in a house where people fight all the way. We want unity.
So that's Gaten McKenzie talking to Tidi Madia on Politricking. I did meet him when he came into the building to speak to Tidi, and he is colourful. Uh, he is a character, but lots of important stuff coming out of that uh, of that podcast. So go have a listen to it because, as Gaten McKenzie says, the PA are the kingmakers in the city of Joburg. The midday report. So at issue there, of course, is the mayor of the city of Joburg, Kabila Guamanda, who is a representative from Old Jama and uh, Gator McKenzie speaking there about Kabila Guamanda and the situation in the city of Joburg. Now, we also know that the Democratic Alliance has published allegations that Guamanda may have flouted the financial laws of the country, uh, that he may have uh, swindled people. Uh, Mpopolazzi, the former Joburg mayor and the DA's candidate for mayor, saying that uh, Kabila Guamanda through his entity, Itemba Lama Africa, scammed innocent residents into investing in a funeral investment scheme. However, the investors were left hanging to, uh, hanging dry when it was time to claim their benefits. Now, Al Jamaz responded to this. They've given the DA 48 hours to retract the allegations made against Guamanda or face legal action. Hanif Hendricks is the Al Jamaz leader. Hanif, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, tell us about this ultimatum that you've given to, to the DA. Look, uh, we sat with our attorneys uh, until uh, midnight uh, last night. Uh, hopefully the letter would have reached the uh, DA uh, by now and we've put the DA on terms and we are going to, uh, if they don't withdraw this unfounded uh, allegations, uh, we are going to uh, approach the court for remedial action. Also, our chief whip. Uh, the former mayor of the city of Johannesburg, He's, uh, he has submitted a letter uh, to the speaker, which he already has, asking for the uh, behavior of the uh, caucus leader of the DA, Dr. Palacci, uh, uh, to be probed, uh, allegations to be probed, because he's bringing the office of the mayor into disrepute. Uh, so I suppose if there is a, a full probe, uh, you know, all the facts will be laid uh, bare before the ethics committee. And the uh, ethics committee rep- represent the residents of the city of Johannesburg, and they will make a determination. So Aldemar would not have gone to those great lengths. Uh, you know, number one, to uh, give the DA 48 hours to provide the evidence that they are based, basing the allegations on, uh, getting the media to aid and get them to push a certain narrative. Mm. Now, you don't say that uh, we are going to uh, lay charges in 48 hours and then mislead the, uh, the media. The media was running all over the place to be at the police station uh, after the 48 hours. They even asked me uh, which likely police stations. So we wrote a letter to the mayor to say, everyone is waiting for you to go to the police station. If you don't know where it is, it's in Hilbra, the nearest one. And then this is the address. Please go there because then we can tell the media where you are. So that hasn't happened. Uh, the mayor has now gone, the, the previous mayor, Dr. Palacci, has now gone on the record that they are seeking uh, new evidence, more evidence to strengthen the case. So whatever case they have at the moment is so weak that it won't have any muster 
at uh, any any police station and it won't, won't go any further. So we are surprised that journalists are not doing their proper research before uh, aiding and abetting the DA and pushing a narrative. I would imagine that the journalists would have looked at mm-hmm. the allegations is made, also for the names of the victims, the so-called victims, go and interview them. And if there's a prima facie case that the media would then go and uh, do what they do now, but they're jumping the gun. Even the even Dr. Palazzi is saying that, uh, you know, uh, they are looking for more evidence, more people to come forward that have been scammed and so on. Well, and this took place uh, 13 years ago. Khalif, thank you very much. I mean, that, that is why we have courts in the country. The courts will decide if, uh, if the, the former mayor does indeed have evidence, then they must uh, open the case and the, the courts will ultimately decide or there will be some kind of case historically. Khanif Hendricks, old Jama leader, thank you very much for your time. So the, uh, old Jama has given the DA 48 hours to retract the allegations it's made against the mayor, Kabilo Guamanda, or face legal action. The midday report. Today is World Lupus Day, so we want to uh, we want to throw the spotlight on uh, lupus. It's an inflammatory autoimmune disease caused when the immune system attacks its own tissues. It can affect the joints, uh, skin, kidneys, blood cells, brain, heart, lungs, and system uh, symptoms vary, but do include uh, fatigue, joint pain, rash, and fever. So uh, we're going to speak about uh, about lupus and bring awareness to lupus with Ponso Moelua, who's the founder of the Lupus Drive. Ponso, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Um, you are an advocate for, for lupus. Tell us about um, what, what kind of awareness you're trying to bring to lupus. Um, good afternoon, Mandy. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yes, I am the founder of the Lupus Drive. And for the past five years now, um, we've been advocating to basically just um, touch base and basically just bring like um, basic information about what the condition actually is. And um, you basically said what the condition is. And um, I'm a parent to 4,936 lupus warriors in South Africa. And the support that we basically give them is majority of the time, um, lupus warriors only find out about the condition after diagnosis. So we as the lupus drive try to stand the gap basically in giving them as much information about the condition as possible. Not only the warriors, but we have a support group for warriors and support system, which majority of the time is either family members, friends, the community. We basically try and give as much information, infographics on social media and in the group as much as we possibly can Mm. in order for them to basically know what the condition is and what they're dealing with. Uh, you say that most people only really find out about the disease after they're diagnosed with it. Uh, is there enough awareness, enough education around lupus um, through government facilities uh, generally uh, in terms of education across the country? Um, uh, no. Um, the reason I'm saying no is because right now we are still at ground where basically like the basic, like we are still at the beginning of basically putting out information about what the condition is. So I feel like if there was enough um, information um, in hospitals, Department of Health, um, social development, then a lot of people would actually be aware of what the condition actually is and wouldn't have to find out like after diagnosis. 
And in terms of the support that you're giving to the Warriors, uh, what does that look like? Is, is it uh, uh, practical or is it, um, is it mental as well? Um, I, I think it is practical and meaningful um, because um, it, it, it is so. I, I find joy in basically knowing that a person into hospital coming back with a diagnosis and coming to me and basically gaining all the information they possibly can from me. Not only that, but um, lupus is different with everyone, right? So just because we both have, we might, hypothetically speaking, if you and I were to both have um, lupus SOE, systemic lupus erythematosus, it doesn't mean that it would affect us in the same manner, you know? So lupus is different for, um, for everyone. So what I do um, is basically try and assist people with symptoms. Like with a doctor, mm. with your rheumatologist, majority of the time how lupus is treated is through treating symptoms. Right. So that's what I focus on as well. If you're to come to me, I'll basically look at your history in regards to the condition and be able to assist mm. you with information that will assist you based on the symptoms that you have. Ponso, thank you so much for shining the spotlight today on lupus. That's Ponso Moelua, the founder of the Lupus Drive, as today is International Lupus Day. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. Latest news, breaking stories, expert analysis. All you need to know. This is the Midday Report.